welcome to Noisy Fulfillment, a Desperate Housewives rewatch podcast where we take you back in time episode by episode of ABC's Desperate Housewives. If you love what we're doing and would like to support us further than just as a listener, which we absolutely thank you for, you can really help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review and subscribing to this podcast. That really helps people to find us because analytics equals search results. We'll also read it on the air, so if you love to hear stuff you've written on the air, here's your chance. Also, you can become a patron by contributing at any monetary level by going to anchor.fm slash noisyfulfillment. You can also buy us a virtual coffee by tipping us in our virtual tip jar at ko-fi.com slash noisyfulfillment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash noisyfulfillment where you can comment on stuff, react to stuff, and also message us. You can also email us at noisyfulfillment at gmail.com. Hi, Amanda Baum. Good morning, Rachel Warren, Dr. Rachel Warren. So sweet. Are you ready for the penultimate episode of the season? I love the use of that word. Yes. People don't know what that means, but it the, means like the one before the last one. Exactly. And if you're a Game of Thrones fan, the ninth episode, that's where all the shit goes down. I swear yes. to it. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. Oh, so welcome to Noisy Fulfillment. Today we are breaking down episode 22, Goodbye for Now, written by Josh Center. I think this is the first one I've seen that Josh has written and directed by David Grossman, who we've seen multiple times. And it first aired on May 15th, 2005. Yes. So the song comes from not a musical, still written by Stephen Sondheim, but not from a musical. It's actually from a movie that um, was recorded by Barbara Streisand. So it's a movie called Reds and it was a 1981 epic historical drama film um, who chronicled the October Revolution in Russia. So something along those lines. So in that movie was Warren Beatty and mm. um, Diane Keaton and Jack Nicholson. Heavy hitters all. Yes. But odd that it's a movie song and not a musical yeah, song. I agree. They just knew what they were getting if they got Sondheim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Thank you for that, Amanda. Do you also want to take us to, I don't have any reviews for us. So if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we'll happily read it. Um, Remember, five stars and you can say whatever you want and I'll read it. Mm -hmm. Do you want to take us to a summary? Yes. In this episode, we have Mike and Susan navigating the beginning of their cohabitation. We have Bree and George coming to an impasse in their strange friendship slash relationship, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. Um, We have Rex's hell situation kind of starting to ramp back up again. Carlos thinks that he's figured out who Gabby's been cheating on him with. And Lynette gets herself, um, she inserts herself into Tom's career situation and causes him to lose out on a promotion. Mm -hmm. We also have some Zach and Paul Young drama that ends with Paul Young getting knocked out. I love it. And then at the end, we have a new family moving in at the very end. Yes, incredibly very end to the point that you almost think that's the cliffhanger that you would have left it on for a series or for the season finale, but penultimate episode. So maybe we'll see them again next. uh, We have one more episode to go. Maybe we'll see them a little bit more. next. One can only hope. All right. So over in the cold open, Edie loves going to the construction site of her new house. Silas asks her on a date and Edie declines in the most awful way possible. What does she say? You're so far out of your league. You're playing a completely different sport. That's exactly what she said. Ouch. With literally 70% of her bra hanging out the top of her shirt. And what was not hanging out 
was seen through this incredibly transparent top she chose to wear to the construction site. Which obviously is all planned and choreographed. Way to go, Edie. Um, So she goes over to Mike's house to bring him the donuts and she finds Susan in the cutest bra, undies, and robe I've ever seen in my life. So that feels as choreographed as it could possibly be. Yes. Um, These donuts also, Edie acted as though she purchased them for her crew. Mm. And I had to rewind it because I looked to see if she actually brought the donuts to them. And no, in fact, they were sitting on the hood of somebody's truck. So Mm -hmm. Edie stole those men's food and brought it to Mike's house. She had to have a reason for going over to Mike's house besides being half naked. Again, Edie gets shamed quite a bit, but sometimes she's just asking for it. Gosh. Yeah, but if you're going to steal somebody's bakery box donuts, that's a cold. That's cold. They're not even like. They're not even like the grocery store, like prepackaged one. Like they were in the nice pink bakery box. That's a cold move, Edie. Oh, man. So finding that Susan and Mike have reconciled, she goes back to the construction site. And then upon Susan saying that she needs to run home for milk to go with the donuts because she can't. Because donuts and juice are unnatural. Unnatural. I don't drink milk and I definitely eat donuts. So I mean, I I can't relate, but nonetheless, Mike says, you know, all this running back and forth is ridiculous. Maybe we should just move in together. And Susan doesn't even have time to say yes before she goes and gloats about it to Edie. She apologizes that she was gloating and giving her a hard time at the door. Edie says, you know, that's very sweet. And on a totally unrelated matter, Mike and I are moving in together. Have a great day. Which leads Edie to make a lunch date at a hotel with Silas. So he's been brought up to the majors. And Edie literally says to Silas, meet me there in a half an hour. And I'd like to know what in the heck time of day it is, because it seems to be the start of the day at the job site, which they get started pretty early, especially if they're going to be out in the heat of the day. Mm -hmm. And Susan and Mike are also, I mean, who knows what time it is over there, but like, to me, it seemed morning-ish. And so that seemed like they were planning for an early lunch. That really quick question for you. So you don't drink milk. What do you think is the correct beverage to have with donuts? I would say that juice is perfectly fine with donuts, particularly orange juice and apple cider donuts. I think that's absolutely fine. Okay. So I don't believe it is unnatural, but I have a hard time. Like I'm weird with food and drink pairings. Okay. Like juice to me has a lot of like conflict with foods Mm. just because it, you know, it has that acidic taste or whatever. Like I like it on its own, but I won't drink it with food. So I probably would drink milk or speaking of apple cider donuts on Mm. Friday, I took, we had somebody come in to my program that is an East coaster who was really wanting to do all of the like typical Midwestern things. So I was like, well, apple donuts for sure. And I was dipping them in my coffee and it was delightful. Solid coffee, like black coffee. No, I don't drink black coffee. Don't be crazy. No, it was like coffee with cream though. I mean, it wasn't, it It wasn't like, it wasn't a, an espresso drink. It was literally just a cup of coffee with some creamer in it and dunk, dunk, delicious. Well, I still have to make my way to the apple orchard. So might take you up on that because I think at the apple orchard I go to, they only have coffee. They have cream, but I just don't do that. If it's not an espresso drink, I don't want it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I would be willing to try it for science. Yeah. Right. Okay. Got to make an informed judgment call if you're going to call something unnatural. Yes. And I would love to know if uh, Terry Hatcher actually has eaten that and feels it's unnatural or if that was just creative writing. 
So coming back from the open, the cold open, we have Mr. and Mrs. Edwin Mullins, who we have literally never seen before. What Joanna Robinson would call, I think, brown shirts on Lost that are just people that live there, but we don't know them, um, mm-hmm. are finally leaving Wisteria Lane because in the past year, their street had played host to arson, violence, blackmail, and murder. Fearing they too would be infected by this moral decay, the Mullins felt it was time to say goodbye. Strangely enough, none of their neighbors seemed to notice they were moving out. That's fine because I didn't even know they lived there. Yeah, seems a rough neighborhood when you list out all those things. And it's not a lie. All of those things have legitimately happened. No, absolutely. And I think that that gives way to really stereotypical conversations about types of neighborhoods and makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. True. Mm -hmm. Very true. So we start our episode over at the Solis house and Justin is outside mowing the lawn and Gabby pops out in her sports bra and leggings to bring him water. But really that's just a guy so that she can come and talk to him. She wants to talk about John and it's very obvious that she wants to share information with Justin. She's not coming out to like, just be like, is John cool? Okay, bye. So she says, you know, well, I had to tell him some unsettling news. And he's like, yeah, telling him that he could never father a child. You're an unfeeling bitch. So Gabby slaps him and Carlos watches it all from the window and kind of starts to question what's happening out there. So we know he's had suspicions that Gabby's been unfaithful. And if you're watching that through the window, it does look like some sort of little lover's quarrel because you don't just slap somebody unless they really, really offend you. You don't just slap your lawn guy. Probably. I just don't slap people. Yeah, I don't slap people in general. So, you know, yes, um, I think the long guy would have every right to um, call me a bitch after I sleep, after I slap him. Also, Carlos didn't run out there in a jealous rage or ask what's going on, even though Gabby's the one doing the slapping. That seems interesting. He can go to the porch. We know he can go to the front lawn. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. I think he's collecting evidence. I think he's, I think he doesn't want to go out and and let on that he knows anything because that'll stop the flow of information. Okay. But if you also want to to stop the affair. True. But if you're not a hundred percent that it's a thing, like maybe he's not ready. He doesn't feel like he has enough data to make a true decision at this time. Okay. Well, we'll let him continue his fact finding as we go over to Tom's office where Lynette shows up with a cake for Tim Dugan, who's apparently coming back. Apparently Lynette has been at his office three times this week I'm assuming that means it's Wednesday. With all due respect, and in all fairness to Lynette, she absolutely said that if Annabelle continued working there, she would be there every day bringing the kids, bringing them lunch, and that has come to fruition. So, I mean, she's a woman who does what what she says. That's what I have in my notes. Tom lets her have it for this, but to be fair, she told him this would happen. And also, he needs to stop trying to make her feel small for her making an effort on their marriage. Like this really pissed me off in the last episode. And I think he's a smug, icky dude. And I, I, this just continues my case that he's the worst on Wisteria Lane. Also, I feel like I need to make a hashtag for every time. Cause I, I we listened to a couple episodes when we were traveling this weekend and mm-hmm. I heard myself say this more than once in terms of the, the Scabo kids, where are the children? <laughs> Like I need a hashtag, hashtag where are the Scavo kids? Because I know it's like during the day, but also Penny's still an infant. So Mm -hmm. 
It would also be interesting to me if uh, you did that hashtag, if maybe you got both sets of twins, the actors who play those boys, uh, to retweet you or something. That would be really funny. I think that no, would be but like, but right here. Remember, remember back when, you know, Lynette was trying to get into that yoga class and she had the kids in tow and like didn't have a place for them. Now all of a sudden she can flit about in all manner of sexy dresses to her husband's office at any time during the workday. I believe back in yoga, it was only Penny and Parker because Parker was sick. Okay, but still Penny. Yes, absolutely Penny. Where, you know, where is baby Penny? I agree with that. Yeah. Anyway. No, I agree. Um, Lynette follows Annabelle into the break room. And I love the, can I cut you dot, 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 a piece of this cake? Going back into the bullpen or like the major, the major place, like where everybody is. Tom's boss says that Tim Dukin has had a relapse and will not be returning. And Annabelle will be taking on a hotel chain, leaving for Hawaii immediately. And I can just see, I don't see a, I don't see it in the, the, the shot, but I could just imagine Lynette being like, yes, I don't have to come here every day. I don't have to babysit my husband. I don't have to have these feelings. I'm going to have a little bit of a reprieve. For 10 seconds, maybe not even that. And then Annabelle says, well, I can't do this all by myself. And Peterson says she can pick anybody she wants to take with her. And of course, she picks Tom to go to Hawaii with her. She literally does like the classic, like look around the room, like as a former teacher, Hmm. anytime you say like, do you need somebody to carry your backpack to the next class? Because you have a, you know, you're on crutches or whatever, like the classic look around the room and assess all of my options knowing, oh, well, I'm going to just ask my best friend or my crush to carry my stuff. Like that just was so, I don't know. It just, yeah, I don't even know what to say about it, but I got to tell you, like when Lynette is, you know, does the, can I cut you a piece of cake? I just appreciate that she's being real about it. She's not, she's not trying to be sly. She's not trying to, you know, act like everything, like we're so used to needing to act like everything's cool, even when we're at a red hot rage inside. And she's just like, I told you I would be here all the time if that girl still works here. And then I'm not going to be friendly to her. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to offer up to slice her. And then I don't know if you caught it, but when Annabelle says, Tom, you can just see the the look of like sheer panic on his face. And Lynette takes a step forward and still has that butcher knife. And he kind of like mom arms her. It's to, like, awesome. Approaching it's, with a knife. So that's kind of funny. It was absolutely so subtle, but yes, it was awesome. And I loved it. And I also say, while I find Annabelle to be predatory because I don't really like Tom, I don't care if she breaks up that marriage. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I should because, you know, maybe the children would be better off if Tom and Lynette stayed together, but I am not happy with the shape of their marriage. And I certainly don't want that for any of my women friends. And I consider them women on Mysterio Lane my friends. And I wouldn't want them to be in that situation. But, and again, so again, Annabelle is predatory. My only thing that I have to give it up to is she's bold. Like I wouldn't be the person if you were my teacher and my arm was broken and you asked who I wanted to carry my books for me, I would not be bold enough to say that I want my crush to do it. It would be my, it would be one of my friends because I would not be bold enough to ask them. Kids these days though, Rachel, you don't even know. I agree. I am so out of the game. I agree. Um, I was really in that moment where Annabelle picked Tom. I was like, come on, Tom, this is your moment. Do this for your wife here. Like, mm-hmm. Do the right thing. And, you know, the comment you make about Annabelle being predatory, like she's not been given the hard stop by Tom. Otherwise, Absolutely. it's been invited. Be, right. He's, he's kind of like, oh, 
you know, we're, we just work together. It's fine. Lynette, you're crazy, but he's not giving her the stiff arm. So, and it's interesting to me and I don't know because I haven't been in this situation, but if you're hot Annabelle, who I can't imagine she has a huge, a hard time attracting male attention if that's what she wants. Do you want Tom and to break up that marriage so that you can then have four stepchildren? But think about all, I mean, probably not. It doesn't seem like that would track for her. But if you look at the hours that they work, like it doesn't seem, you know, you Mm. say she doesn't have a hard, she wouldn't have a hard time attracting male attention, but it also doesn't seem like her, her work-life balance from what we see with Tom, because it's Lynette by herself a lot of the time. And Tom's, you know, swooping in at like 10 o'clock at night after a long day at work. It seems like there's probably not a lot of opportunity for her to go out and explore that side of her life. And I'm, I'm totally that's fair. speculating that's totally fair. here, but no, it's totally fair. And I think also we've talked about this before the toxic work culture that is just, it's so, it's so apt for 2005 makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. So yeah, all of that is there. That, that should be the most important thing or you don't have anything. It's crazy. Right. Right. But take us to so let's ha- Yeah. Let's go to miniature golf. Um, we have Brie and George and they have George dressed like a Boy Scout with like the checkered short sleeve button up shirt and the pleated shorts and the brown shoes with the ankle, like the higher ankle mid calf socks, whatever. It just was such a ridiculous, I don't know. It almost felt emasculating when I saw how <laughs> we had him put together. And I could be totally wrong on that, but like one of my favorite musicals of all time is Putnam County Spelling Bee. And he just <laughs> with like the Boy Scouts costume in that. And, and they're um, on an outing to the right. mini putt place. Right. And Brie is trying to get George to miss his putt. So she does this creepy little like beep, beep, beep up his back and like puts her arm around him and like squeezes him in the middle and like whispers in his ear. And I, she can just F right off with this. Like, don't yes. act like you don't know what you're doing, Brie, because totally he, of course, ends up getting an erection and she's like, oh my God, think of things that are unpleasant. Like, I can't believe this. You betrayed my trust. This is such a betrayal. Why is she so dumb? She is such a savvy woman that I have a hard time believing that she really thought he was into her as a friend. That And even if, like, I cannot imagine having that kind of interaction with anybody. It doesn't matter how long they've been my friend. It doesn't matter if they like live across the street from me and we have dinner with them all the time. And my husband knows they're not a threat. Mm -hmm. I just, the way that she was physically engaging with him that brought him to that point was so inappropriate. It was very intimate contact. Yes. Yes. Like literally like slides her arm around his waist and then like Mm -hmm. whispers in his ear. Like that's just... I don't know. I feel bad for George. I think he's an absolute creep, but I feel so bad for him because she's giving him all of these, you know, yellow light signals, but then acting so self-righteous and I don't know. But then Bree's like, if you're going to have these feelings, I can't see you anymore. And George is like, after everything I've done for you. Mm. And I just want to know, other than poisoning Bree's husband, what has he done for her? Like he's in love with her and he's taking all of these moments 
for himself. Like that's mm-hmm. not, he's not doing that for a break. Absolutely. And yeah, there's a lot of work involved in the type of manipulation he's doing, but that's all on you. That is not something you're right. Not something that's benefiting Brie necessarily. I think he enjoys all the things that they go to together. So it's not like saying going to that bonsai exhibit was a real chore for me. Worst day ever. Right. Yeah, it, it seems like all of these are things that he enjoys doing. The other piece I wanted to, I really pulled from what you said about Annabelle and Tom is that nobody's putting a stop to this. Nobody's having a hard boundary about what you are allowed to do and not allowed to do. And I also think that if it was the opposite way, if George was the one doing this intimate contact with Brie, she would hardline it right away. So it just feels like a certainly a double standard that she should be allowed to do this, but he should not be, that he wouldn't be allowed to. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I liked that. Yeah, that you're good. welcome. Because we don't think of Annabelle and George as being by any means the same type of predator, but mm-hmm. they're both, like you said, not getting a hard no. They're getting yellow lights. Like maybe mm-hmm. like I'm going to, you know, permission by not disallowing a behavior. Consent so, by not assent or not. There dissent. it is. Correct. Yeah. That it's not, you're affirming consent by not, which is really problematic. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's not enthusiastic consent by any means. But I do have to say, like, as far as Brie and George are concerned, it does look like consent because it's not like he's, you know, cozying up to her, like runs into her somewhere and cozies up to her somewhere. They, they're they mm. going to these events together. They're going to miniature golf. They're going this is to a date. Eat. There's it's no way date. this is not a date. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Frickin' Brie. And you pointed that out as well. Like she, there's no way she's not aware of this and she can lie to herself any way she wants to about, well, my husband doesn't like to do these things with me. Well, then we need to figure that out. That's a problem right. to have. Again, where's the marriage counselor? Have we really stopped marriage counseling in the middle of all of this? I can tell you for sure, Joe Bomb does not like going into Lululemon with me when I'm going to <laughs> leggings or the sports bra that's going to work for me. But like he, he'll do it because if he's not going to do that, then you know, who will? I don't, nobody, because if he doesn't do it, I'll just go by myself. But I think in a good relationship, the person recognizes that. Yeah. Sometimes you have to go do stuff that you don't love for your partner, but it's part of the agreement. Yeah, I agree. Uh, We actually saw a comedian in uh, Madison that said something about you know, I like being married for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is that I have somebody who is contractually obligated to go see a really stupid movie with me every once in a while. So I'll say, you know, want to go see X? And she'll say, no, not really. And, and I'll say, well, the state of Illinois says you do. And so now we we tell that to each other quite a bit. When it's like, hey, there's a wine tasting. Oh, I don't really feel like it. Well, the state of Illinois says you really want to go. Oh, I love and that. that. I'm, I'm going to adopt that. I'm going to bring that phrase. I'm going to bring that phrase into my home. Thank you for that. My pleasure. Uh, Joe Baum, you're so welcome. Love Rachel and Chris Warren. (laughs) (laughs) So over at poker, Edie wants to put an end to Susan and Mike's relationship. So she brings up these red flags that are going off for Mike and that Susan and Mike are going way too fast on this. 
And she she says, the you know, what about the guns the gunshot wound that has never been solved? And Bree says, Yeah, I can tell you from knowing guns that that wasn't self-inflicted. Oh, and what about Martha Hoover's jewelry being found in Mike's garage? And convinces the women to do an intervention light with Susan. These concerns are valid. Of course. And also for us as the viewer is, hey, you know, are you going to, we know how those things happen, but are you going to unravel them with everybody else? Yeah. I love how Gabby throws in there. One thing I've learned is men can't be trusted. (laughs) Okay. For a real girlfriend who is pregnant with, who knows if it's Carlos's baby or your 16 year old lawn mowing friend's baby. Like, come on, Gabby. He's at least 17 by this point. I am the Gabby apologist. <laughs> I will I will say though, if I'm Susan and I have made all of these dumb mistakes my whole entire life, I would be really appreciative of my friends who would be like, okay, let's just, you know, Gilmore style, Gilmore girl style pro con list this and just make sure that you're making the right decision with all of the facts not in a, you need to not do that. Like people are going to boss me around kind of way, but like, I can appreciate when, when the people that you trust and the people that you know, have your back say, let's pause for a beat and talk this through. That is literally what I thought of is, can we just acknowledge these things? It doesn't have to change your behavior. It doesn't have to change anything, but I have concerns and I would like them to be acknowledged. Because ultimately you want your friends to protect themselves and protect them their physical self, but also their soul and their emotions and and their mental health and all of that. And, you know, sometimes you go into a situation where you bring that up and then you end up alienating yourself with your friend because they don't want to hear anything that goes against what they want. But I just feel like I can't live with myself as a person if I don't identify that there are these red flags that make me concerned for your safety. That was the answer when we were talking about, I I don't remember where, oh, we were talking about Maisie, Maisie Gibbons. And if you know your friend's husband is cheating or with a prostitute or whatever the case is. And I think we had that same conversation about, well, I might lose a friend either way, but I can't live with myself if that person brings something into your relationship that ends up killing you. So uh, I think you said that one of your counselor friends had said uh, an alive friend is better than a dead friend. Yep, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, like that we're coming um, back to that. Yes. So now we go to Susan and Mike's and I'm confused who's moving in with who because- Dink, dink, dink. Yes. I thought he asked her to move in with him. And then I was kind of like, okay, but like, who has, who has the nicer house? He's obviously, he's renting. We already know that. Yeah. But it also seems like he's got some pretty major like construction issues. Like remember when Susan fell through the floor in the bathroom the one time? Yes. So to me, it would seem like move into Susan's and then get your house taken care of. But then- it kind of looks like she's moving in with him or he's moving in with her. Like I don't, I couldn't get a handle on it. Also, if you're moving and you have a daughter mm-hmm. living with you, you move into the house where your kid is. Correct. Correct. So, um, I agree that that's terribly confusing. The only like, because I know the answer to that, but the other piece is that his truck is the one that's filled with his stuff. Right. That helped me think that it's hers, but I don't see his things going into her house and that would make it obvious for me. I think they could have made this a lot easier for me to 
to see, but they just expect us. Again, it was 2005. Whatever we tell them is fine. There are not, you know, message boards are like a niche thing that people go on to, but it's not that you're going to tweet literally at the director, hey, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Right, so. right. It's not as accessible. Yeah. So Susan tells Mike that she found a box of bullets mm. and yeah, he's... Is this where she says you're going to need to get rid of the guns and definitely the guns and all the stuff if we if we're going to move in together? And he yes. seems to acquiesce to that as he's saying like, "Yeah, you're right. Okay." Yeah, I'm like you're not really going to though, dude. And isn't the crux of your relationship falling apart kind of because of you not being 100 percent honest? So this seems like you're going to fall back into that trap. So then we see Paul. So Susan makes a comment about, okay, that was easy. Next, let's talk about your brown leather beanbag chair as she Mm -hmm. takes a box of stuff one way or the other uh, into a house. And Paul Young drives up and dumps a cardboard box of stuff on Felicia's porch as Mike's watching. Yes. And back to what you said about Susan saying, if we're going to share our lives together, if we're going to move in together, you have to get rid of all of it. The bullets, the gun. I understand that you're upset about what happened to Deirdre, but I can't have it around. And he just gives it up so quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, Suspect. Yeah. Agreed. So over at Felicia's house, as you've almost alluded to already, this box of stuff from Paul, right? Zach reads a letter from Paul telling him that he got him a new mitt. He should work on his curveball while he's away working on himself and that Mrs. Tillman will take care of you. And Zach is just incensed because he hates baseball. He would expect his father to know that. He throws it and goes off on his way. And Felicia is upset for him, feels badly for him. And Felicia sees a picture of Mary Alice and looks genuinely sad for Zach. And almost, it wasn't like, yeah, glad you're gone or something like that. She looked like she was really connecting with you know, poor, poor kid who misses his mom. It's everything's a mess. She seemed genuinely sad for Zach. And that was that was interesting to me. In the mitt, though, Felicia finds a note from Paul to Zach saying, I didn't leave you meet me at the baseball field Thursday at midnight. And it's just it was a great try. Great try, Paul. It really was. Zach is a very volatile dude. Absolutely. He just gets so pissed about that mitt that he like throws stuff on the ground, like goes from pretty calm to like Hulk smash. And this isn't the first time we've seen that from him. So 